Let us pray. Father, we thank you and bless you for this day and for this time. We pray now that as your word goes forth, it will find fertile ground in the hearts and minds of your people because we know no matter how good the seed is, if it doesn't find fertile ground, then that seed will not produce great fruit. So we ask you to bless as only you can so that as your word goes forth, it will not just become part of what we hear, but it will change how we live. We ask your blessings now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, pull out your smartphones. You're going to text to 22333, the word good hope, so we can put you in the system. And the question today is, what is typically the first response of a person who's been confronted after being caught doing wrong. Now, just in case you're having trouble projecting upon somebody else what their thoughts are, use yourself. What do you typically do when you get caught doing wrong? What's your, typically, what's your typical first response? Shocked that you got caught? Really? Deny? Lie? Yeah. Freeze? I don't like that one. Uh huh. Hide? Yeah, most of us probably stay around, lie, deny. Matter of fact, those of you who didn't write lie, deny, are probably lying or in denial right now. Most people, when they get caught doing wrong, their first thought, first tendency is to lie. Blame somebody else. Shift the focus off of yourself. Wasn't me. I ain't do it. One brother told me, did you touch me? Say, if you didn't touch me, then it wasn't me. Look just like you. Everybody has a twin in the world, you know. Sound just like you. Wasn't me. I wasn't there. The truth of the matter is, when most of us get caught doing something, We run to lie or we run to deny. But here's a question that I want you to answer as well. What do you do when God catches you in a lie? Or when the witness against you is God? Like now, this is not something where you can say, you know, well, maybe I didn't see it right or the lighting was bad or maybe I mistaked your voice for somebody. No, God. God says, I caught you. God says you were wrong. In our text today, we have arguably the most important story for those who have ever been caught up in a sinful situation. 
It's the story of a man by the name of David. David, who the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. He was a man who loved God. But the Bible says he had one blemish on his record. Look at 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 5. For David had done what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and had obeyed the Lord's commands throughout his life, except in the affair concerning Uriah the Hittite. Now, I know what some of you are asking. Well, what happened between him and Uriah? Well, the Bible says David was strolling out one day on the terrace of his palace, and he saw a woman bathing down beneath him. He inquires about this woman who was beautiful by all accounts, makes his move, and ends up engaging in an intimate relationship with this woman who ends up becoming pregnant. David has one major problem. The woman is married. Married to a guy named Uriah. And this is not a guy that David would be able to dislike because this is a man who is part of his army who would lay down his life to defend the king. And the Bible says David does everything he can to try to get this off of him. Brings Uriah home on furlough. Says, hey, man, go in there and have a great time with your wife. But instead of going in and being intimate with his wife, he sleeps at the doorstep of the king. He can't do anything to get this brother to go in and be with his wife. So when she comes up pregnant, they can say it was his and not David's. And so David conspires, puts him on the front line of the battle, and Uriah is killed. Then David takes Bathsheba as his wife. Now, you can imagine what the public was thinking, right? They were like, oh, my God, the king is so nice. Man, Uriah died in battle, and David took Bathsheba and brought him. And, and look at that, and, and she's pregnant, and man, he's going to raise Uriah's child. Nobody knew what the real deal was. But in 2 Samuel chapter 12, the Bible says a prophet by the name of Nathan comes to David. He says, King, got a story to tell you. Want to hear it? <laughs> hear how it goes. He said, there's a man who has like everything. And then there's this little man that's struggling and has like hardly anything. And the man who has everything takes what this man who has little, if anything, takes what little he has for himself. What would you say needs to happen to that kind of man? David says, man, kill him. Drag him in. We don't stand for that kind of stuff in our kingdom. And Nathan says, you are that man. The jig is up. God has shown Nathan the sin of David. And this wasn't a new sin. He had gotten comfortable living with the sin, y'all. Because you got to remember, he sleeps with Bathsheba. She's pregnant. And she's about to give birth to that child. So it's been at least nine months that this has been going on. And David has never come clean 
to God about his sin. And the Bible says, look at verse 9, 2 Samuel chapter 12. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? to do what is evil in his sight. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. God says there are going to be some consequences because of the choices that you have made. Now, David has to decide how is he going to respond to the condemnation that God brings his way. Consequences are going to live on. David has problems with his sons. He has problems with one of them raping his daughter. I mean, he has all kinds of issues that come up. But he has to make a decision about his relationship with God. And my brothers and my sisters, I need somebody in here to know that no matter how holy you pretend to be publicly, God knows the real story privately. And before you applaud somebody else's mess, learn how to say amen to your own mess. See, this passage helps us deal with our own sin. Now, the sin specifically referenced here is the sin of sexual immorality, of adultery, right? But, but, but let's be honest. If that's not your sin, you have one. Like you may, you, you, you may not be able to do what you used to do, but you can still do something you shouldn't be doing whether it's an action or an attitude. God says you have to be willing to face your sin and deal with it head on. Whether it's the lie of commission, where you say something that you know is not true, or the lie of omission, where you don't say everything you know is true. How do you respond when you realize God has seen your sin? Today, for a few moments, I want to talk to you from the thought, praying to become spiritually restored to God. Praying to become spiritually restored to God. See, the truth of the matter is our sin will separate us from God in terms of our fellowship with God. And what you have to be careful of is becoming so comfortable in your sin that you don't realize how far away from God you have really moved. If you have your outlines, would you say amen? amen. If you need an outline, raise your hand and the ushers will get one to you. Now, typically, God works in convicting us of our wrong through the presentation of the word of God. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus says, the truth shall set you free. But watch this. Sometimes it's not just the word of God that will come forth to convict you. Sometimes God will send a person to convict you. 
Can I ask you a question? Do you have any friends in your life, I mean real friends, who will tell you when you're wrong? Or do you just have people who will cover your wrong? See, somebody in here, you may consider your best friend the one who lies for you and covers for you. Oh, yeah, we was at girls' night. Oh, yeah, no, he just ran out. He just ran to the store. He'd be back in a minute. Yeah, 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 we watching the game over my house. Yeah. But do you have a real friend who will confront you when you are wrong Especially when they know you are on the path to destruction. Is the first thing and main thing I want you to see today. Number one, you need to ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins. If you are going to become spiritually restored to God, you first have to ask God to forgive you of your sins. Now, when we get to Psalm 51... Beginning at verse 1, the recognition and responsibility for sin has already been taken by David. David has already recognized his sin. He has taken responsibility for his sin. He has taken ownership of his sin. But now he is at the place of repentance. So for somebody today, maybe what you need to do is experience the recognition that what you are doing is sin and take responsibility for it so you can repent of it. Whether it's you doing what you shouldn't do or saying what you shouldn't say or hurting who you shouldn't hurt, whatever your choice of sin is, God says the powerful praying that needs to be done in your life first must be preceded by you saying, you know what, I have done wrong. That this is not just who I am. This is not something that you have a responsibility to get used to or get over or you're too sensitive. No, you need to look in the mirror and check yourself. Look at verse 1, Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. Now, the focus of this entire psalm is to the Lord. And what's interesting is when he says, have mercy on me, on, O God, he doesn't use the covenantal name of God. He doesn't speak the unspeakable name of God, Yahweh. He doesn't reference Jehovah. He talks about Elohim. Elohim, the plural name of God, because he is plural in his power and person, but he is also plural in his mercy and in his power. It's almost as if David recognizes that he is not in the position or have the right to call God in his most intimate name because he knows his sin has separated him. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. That word mercy literally is to ask someone to bend or stoop in kindness to somebody who is an inferior or who is in need of a favor. He says to God, God, have mercy on me. I recognize, God, that I don't have a right to call on you. God, have mercy on me 
according to your steadfast love. Now, that word there for steadfast love is one word in the Hebrew. It's the word hesed. It's that, 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 that unfailing love of God that was initiated based on God's love for us and expresses his loyalty and devotion to all of those who are connected to his promise and his covenant. It's like, this is the greatest love you could know because this is not a love that you earn. This is a love that was given and initiated by God. He says, God, I need mercy, not according to what I deserve, but according to what you give. Lord, have mercy on me. Oh God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. That phrase, abundant mercy, speaks to a, a love that loves beyond yourself. Uh, it's the love that a mother has for her fetus that she's carrying within her. And, and those of you who have been mothers uh, you know that when a woman is carrying a child, there are things that she may have done before she was pregnant that she may go back to doing after she gives birth that she won't do while she's carrying the child, not because of her health, but because of the health of her child. So, for example, a person who smokes before and after won't smoke during. Right. Or a person who drinks won't drink during their pregnancy because of their love for their fetus. It is it is that kind of depth of love. He says, God, I want you to out of that abundant love that you have for me, blot out my transgressions. Everybody say blot out. Now, what's interesting is this phrase blot out literally means to erase, to destroy, to wipe away, not the consequences, but the condemnation connected to it. He says, God, I need you to blot out my transgressions. I need you to make sure, God, that my transgressions don't stay ever before me, that my sins, my trespasses, my rebellion does not stay ever before me. God, erase it. Why does David ask the Lord to wipe away and erase his sinful record. He asked him to erase it because he knows only God can erase the sins of your past. Now, here's the challenge for many of us. The challenge is many of us won't let go of what has happened in the past, even though God has forgiven us of what has happened in the past. Part of that is the trick of the devil. It is always the devil's goal to keep you connected to a painful past so you can't experience the blessings of God in your present and you can't have the joy that God wants you to have. And sometimes he'll use people to remind you of what you have done in the past. But here's what I need you to understand. God has the ability to forgive and forget. And when the Bible uses that phrase, forget, Basically, what he's saying is the Lord won't keep bringing it up in your face to remind you of it once you have asked the Lord to forgive you. Look at Isaiah 43, verse 25. I 
I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. People will remember your shortcomings. But thank be to God that God can forgive and forget. Go down to verse 2. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David says, Lord, I need you to cleanse me. I need you to wash me. Now, is it that David cannot wash himself? I think David is at the place where he doesn't trust himself to wash himself. Because he knows if God washes him, he's going to be washed thoroughly inside and out. Uh, some of you have had younger children, or maybe you remember when you was a, a child, and, and, and boys are kind of notorious for this. Like, we, we, we take a bath, but we really don't take a bath, you know? <laughs> right? And, and, and you come out of the... Did you, did you wash behind you? Yeah, I washed. Come in. They check behind the ears, and there's a potato field back there behind your ears, you know? Or, or, you, or you took a bath, but you still smell musty, you know what I mean? He said, get back in that tub. I, I let the water out. Run some more water. Right? And, and, and you know how kids are, boy. You take water, man, and it's clear, crystal clear. When they get out of the tub, it's dirty brown, right? But, but you know that there's a point in a child's life where you won't trust a child to bathe themselves. You got to wash them yourself, and then you got to check them. He says to the Lord, Lord, I need you to wash me. I need you to cleanse me from my iniquity. Just like I would take my clothes to an attendant at a laundry and say, wash these, and I expect them to be clean. He says to the Lord, Lord, I'm presenting myself. Cleanse me. Wash me. Somebody in here, God needs to wash you. You need to submit yourself. Your prayer needs to be, Lord, wash me. Your mind, your mouth. Somebody, God needs to wash you. Below the waist and above the neck, God needs to wash you. And you say, why does God need to wash me? Because obviously you haven't been doing a good job washing yourself. That word cleanse literally means to be uncontaminated, to be presented morally innocent. And then watch what he says in verse 3. David says, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. See, there's somewhere along the line in life where you have to accept who you are. Right? Like, in other words, you have to be able to look in the mirror and say, you know what? This is an issue. This is an area. And I can't do it on my own. I need God to help me in this area. He says, I know my transgressions. I know where I've done wrong. And the challenge for us is not to pretend so long to be something we're not publicly that we forget who we really are privately. See, if you don't acknowledge your sin, 
you can't overcome your sin. If you don't call it sin, you can't overcome sin. If it's just the way you are, then that becomes an excuse to stay just the way you are. But watch what happens in verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. He says against you, God. Now, wait a minute. Who did David sin against? Well, obviously he sinned against Uriah. Took the man's wife, got her pregnant, set him up to be killed. He didn't pull the trigger. He just put him right in front of the bullet. I think that qualifies as sin. Sinned against Bathsheba. Dishonored her marital bed. Right? But David says... At the end of the day, God, I sinned against you. This is not about Bathsheba. This is not about Uriah. This is about my sin against you. And somebody in here, God wants you to understand that when you fall short of the mark, When you say what you shouldn't say and do what you shouldn't do and go where you shouldn't go and think what you shouldn't think, that your ultimate sin is not against the person you do wrong to. Your ultimate sin is against God. You may have cussed them out, but your sin was against God. You may have stolen from your boss, but your ultimate sin is against God. You may have lied to your spouse, but your ultimate sin is against God. David says, against you and you alone have I sinned. Look look at Joseph and his conversation with Potiphar's wife. You remember she's trying to seduce him to sleep with her. And and look at what he says, verse 8, Genesis 39. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything back from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? A sin against my brother is a sin against God. A sin against my mother or father is a sin against God. A sin against my children is a sin against God. 2 Samuel 12, 13. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. What is your sin of choice? You may be too old to do what you used to do, but you're still old enough to do what you're doing right now. You you may not have the opportunity, resources to do what you used to do. But, But at the end of the day, David says, 
in order for you to become spiritually restored to the Lord, you've got to start with saying, God, forgive me of my sins. You've got to call sin what it is. It's not a personality quirk. It's not an idiosyncratic tendency. It's sin. It's sin. And until you call it what it is, you can't receive what God has for you. God says, I want your prayers to be heard. And God wants your fellowship to be real with him. But it starts with you saying, Lord, I'm wrong. Because here's the problem. If you're not careful, you'll spend so much time denying what you've done and lying to other people that you believe the lie to be true. Now, it's one thing to run game on somebody else. But you bad when you learn how to run game on yourself. You done talked yourself into believing that the foolishness you saying to other people is actually true. And God says, if you're not going to be honest with anybody else, I need you to be honest with me. Because God said, at the end of the day, the only judge you're going to have to answer to is God himself. Father, we thank you today. And we pray now that, God, as we have begun our look in Psalm 51, that you would challenge us to look at our lives, not in comparison to other people, but look at our lives in comparison to your word. To see where we have fallen short of your mark, to see where we have failed to live in a way that honors and glorifies you. God, it's not my mother, it's not my father, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And God, while it's so easy for us to blame a spouse or blame children or blame a parent or blame a situation or circumstance, even our own sinful humanity, God, ultimately, It comes down to you, and it comes down to us. And so, God, help us today. Even those things that we have accepted because they have been with us so long, that they have become part of our MO, they've become part of our common practice. Convict us by your Holy Spirit. So that even those things, God, that we may see as unchangeable or we we may not even recognize that they need to be changed or they can be changed. God, move us today by your spirit and show us where we need to confess those things as sin. And help us to get on the path of wholeness and healing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.